I want to continue on with the series that I've been doing, being able to see the unseen, how to see the unseen that would be t- the topic for today. And when I say the unseen, I'm just not talking about a spooky realm, a, you know, seeing invisible, looking through walls, x-ray vision. We're talking about the realm of the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John 18, verse 36, when he's before Pilate, when Pilate asked him if he was a king, he said, yes, I am. He said, where's your kingdom? Thinking that your kingdom would be something he tangibly could see, like you've got a fort, a castle, uh, a realm and dominion of people that you, you protect and oversee as a typical king would. But he said, my kingdom is not of this realm. Kingdom, basileia is the word, meaning the dominion of a king. So Jesus said, if my kingdom was this world or this realm, my servants right now would be fighting to deliver me, but they're not. It was because Jesus recognized that he didn't come just to set up a kingdom here. He came, came to set up a kingdom, the dominion of a king that's far-reaching beyond what we see here. The reason why I think it's necessary for us to see the unseen is when you're praying and you're believing God for supernatural things and you cannot get beyond the circumstance of the moment, you have to break through into the unseen. When I'm praying for people that are sick, I can't start just looking at how frail they are or the problems they have. And many times they will spend lots of time telling you about what the doctors have said and all the problems that exist with that. And there's nothing wrong with hearing the need there. But for someone who's believing God for supernatural, you have to get beyond what you're seeing at the moment to see the way God sees it. Even at times when Jesus was went into that one house where he was healing and everybody was mourning, some of them they had paid mourners, and he had to put them out of the house, and then he, he brought deliverance and brought miracle there. So how do we guard that? Proverbs 4 verses 23 says, Guard your heart, for out of it comes the issues of life. And the word issues there is translated the course, the pathway, or the direction. So if the issues and the pathway comes out of my heart, then he said, guard it, protect it, oversee it. We see in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, when it talks about the armor, put on the whole armor of God. And he says, then taking the shield of faith... And the word shield there, thura, doesn't just mean this armor plate that we normally think of as a shield, but it means in the shape of or the doorway. So he's saying, and take the doorway, which means the entrance into the house, entrance into our thoughts, minds, through the eyes, ears, gateways, if you will. So he's telling us that we have to protect the gateway, protect what happens that comes into us in such a way so that we guard it and protect it because out of it comes the issues of life. Now, many times you'll see in Scripture the word heart interchangeably with the word mind, and sometimes it is very specific with that. So when he says, the heart believes unto salvation and the mouth we confess him. So most of the times the word heart there means the center of who we are. It just doesn't mean this thing that pumps blood The ancients believed that it was between the heart and the lungs, the center of everything, that the pneuma, the lungs, and the life of the spirit is in the blood. So the life of God and the breath of God was there in that heart. We know that the eternal part of us called the spirit man, or the innermost being, is the part that is eternally goes before the Father, will will come before the Lord. So I'm not making a huge difference between 
between uh, the, the mind and the heart, but I can tell you this way. With our mind, we process circumstances, but with the heart, we log in what we just process with our mind, and out of that comes behavior. We make, we make, uh, we make mistakes with our mind, but we make choices with the heart. The heart is the accumulation of a lot of thoughts that we've had from past experiences, good, bad, not so good. That based on experience in the past, the heart begins to develop a sense of reaction or responses to that. So when we say the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, all of the things, the sum total of whatever has happened or that uh, we believe in, we think is the way it is, perceptions the way it is, that we log it into our heart and that center of who we are. We can also say the heart is really speaks of the character and the nature we are. I can change my mind, but not necessarily change my heart. But I can't change my heart without, first of all, changing my mind. Acts 3 says, repent. Word uh, metoneo means change the way that you think. Let change the way how you think it. In other words, if you had children growing up and, uh, and you, they do something wrong, you, you discipline, they say, Don't you, aren't you sorry about that? And they're thinking about it, and, and finally, you're not going to get to eat until you say you're sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, you get to eat. And then you find out on the inside, they weren't sorry at all. They, so it, it wasn't really repentance. It was an acquiescence from the mind because out of the heart comes the pathways or the direction. So for many of us, we are where we are not just simply because of thinking about it, we are where we are is because that we made choices that came out of our heart. And so I want us to look at today that in order to see the unseen world, in other words, that means how God views something. Again, I'm not talking about, you know, being weird or strange, but it is the how the way we perceive things and our actions come out of that as well. So to see what God wants us to see, I have to be able to change my heart. And the heart really speaks of the behavior, my actions. Because John says, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. In other words, fruit means the result of something already sown inside. The fruit means there's a result of a seed planted there. So when you see behavior, you're seeing something that is in the heart that normally doesn't change until we first of all have a brokenness in our mind where in the case with David said, my God, my God, it's, it's you that I've sinned against. He's talking about when he sinned with Bathsheba. It's you I've sinned against. Not just only, you know, my wife and, and all of those things that happen, as terrible as that is and breaking of covenant, but God, I've sinned against you. Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 5, that whatever I yield my members to, my body to, I become one with. So I was, I was talking with someone on the phone recently, and so they don't realize the, how, how fornication begins to set a pattern of the heart. Because the mind looks around and says, well, everybody's doing it. I mean, it's on television 24-7. Sexuality is at a hyper level right now than ever before. And so when you start allowing what we hear with our mind to start seeping into our belief system, the core of who we are, then we start responding out of that, and the heart becomes just, just part of the culture and the nature of what's around us. So when he talks about guarding the heart, He's saying the very character and nature of who you are 
protect it because out of that sets a course and a pathway for where you're going to go. We know that we've got people here that do prison ministry, and most of them, I think, would tell us that a lot of people in prison today, they, they've come from fatherless generation, from comes of time to where we have not had fathers in there. And so how we think about fathers and how we think about authority, sometimes we push back against authority. Maybe they weren't good fathers, but it sets a course in our heart that resists authority, and therefore it sets up a pattern that where we are. So look with me, if you would. Jesus makes a statement in Matthew, the 13th chapter, and I'll, I'm going to spend most of my time in that, in that whole chapter of the parable. Matthew 13 has got several parables in it, particularly I want to pick it up, uh, and the one concerning the parable of, of the, the ground sowing and the seed and so on. Pick it up in verse 10. Let me just say, one just doesn't suddenly do something without, first of all, having it sown into their heart. There's some thought, give it, went into it. They, all of a sudden, they woke up one day and bam, here it is. No, there's been some programming, some thoughts, some contemplation that was already there. Psalms 119 says, let the meditate word of the Lord, let your word be hidden in my heart so I will not sin against you. Sow this into my heart that I have a moral compass that resists that. I mean, I was as a kid growing up, man, my, I was sown in constantly. I had, a, I had a verse of scripture every day to go to school on. Anointed. My mother spit on her finger and anoint my head. We never seemed to have oil around on the way out the door. I went out the door with spit on my head and a scripture in my heart. And when it came time that I was around people and guys and friends and, you know, I was, played sports with those guys and how rough and raw it is, it was around me everywhere, there was something right when the edge when I thought, man, I'm going to be like, I don't want to be left out and want to step over that edge. I remember all of a sudden there would be this tug pulling me back by word. If you love me more than you love this, then you'll show it right now. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love yourself more than you love me, then you'll give yourself to the carnality of that. And that pull and tug kept a good tension upon my heart that I, that I appreciate to this day that kept me out of a lot of trouble. Now look with me at Matthew, the 10th chapter. Excuse me, Matthew, the 13th chapter, and pick it up, verse 10. In regard to this, you can see also 1 Samuel 17. God, God is uh, speaking to Samuel, who's going to anoint the next king, which would be David. And he said, man looks on the outward, but God looks upon the heart. So when we talk about the heart, we're, seeing, we're talking about something that God sees that is deeper than what we see on the outward part of that. So there are times when we don't see promotion in life coming because God sees that maybe that promotion would be devastating. Not all the time. But if I gave you what you were praying for, it would so destroy you or it would pull you away from me. So he loves us so much because he knows our heart more than we know it. I'll get into that in just a moment. Verse 10. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to the talking about the Pharisees, them in parables, which parables means a truth alongside truth. There's, there's one level of truth, but then there's a depth of that. He calls it the mysteries of the kingdom. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you, these are disciples, serious seekers, followers of Jesus. 
These aren't just the average religious folk. Because it be given to you to know the mysteries, the word bathos there, which means what is not seen below the surface. Give you an idea what that word looks like. When Jesus told uh, Peter, says, launch out into the deep and let down your net. It is the word deep there is the same word as mystery or bathos. So he's saying, for it is you to know the depths, the deep. Psalms 42, deep calls out into deep. I want you to know the depths of my father and what he's calling you into. For whoever has, verse 12, for whoever has to him more will be given. In other words, increase doesn't come because God feels merciful on you and you didn't have much, so he'll give you something. So God's not a socialist. You'll figure that out in a moment. But to those who have, more comes. The idea is if you're not a good steward with what you have, then more doesn't come. If you wasted what you have, then more doesn't come. God's all about he increases what has life on it. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Let me go back to him. Whatever has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. It's very disconcerting, is it? What I have, I lose if I don't cause it to be increasing. Always abounding in the grace of God. Always abounding, always coming into a greater fullness of the Lord. If I get a point of static, it very much could be I lost what I had. So in other words, he's saying everything I've spoken to you is to step on for the next one. That's my translation of that. Okay. He says in verse 13, therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see do they, and, and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. Whenever hearing you will hear, he's quoting out of the Old Testament, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Hang on to that word dull. I'll be back to a moment. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. In other words, they're seeing and hearing, but they're not hearing and seeing the fullness of what I've called them to. But blessed are your eyes, for they will see. See what? Not see what the the surface level, but see the kingdom of God. And your ears they will hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see. I mean, there has been some Old Testament prophets They're now in a new covenant, moving into the new covenant, not ratified as yet. And he said, they have been wanting to see and hear what you hear. You think, well, Elijah had to see a lot of things. He heard a lot of things. But he's saying now under this new covenant coming in the kingdom of God, you will hear, you will have access even to some of them that didn't know, understand. Because they didn't have Messiah. Now listen to this. I, I desire that many prophets can see and hear what you did, but to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Look at verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. So he's giving us a key is the parable of the sower is some understanding how to move beyond the surface level of life and understanding the circumstance around you 
but to move into the unseen world that is prepared for those who he says, I love and have given something for. So when circumstances, crisis arises, the first thing that happens is we say, here we go again, or I can't believe this is happening. I don't, I'm tired of this. I don't want anything anymore. What if that crisis, not saying God brought it, what if that crisis was an opportunity to break through the seen, to move into the unseen, whereas the unseen means that you never go back to a lesser place with him? The unseen could be not just physically seeing it, but spiritually seeing it, spiritually hearing something that not everybody else is hearing. In a world that's so upside down and strange right now, those that know their God, Daniel eleven thirty two, I think it is, those that know their God shall do what? Exploits. And that was written in a time when Daniel, everything was so strange, the idolatry and the paganism, child sacrifice was going on, things around them, they were, there was an anti-Semitic just like today is, to hate them and plots against them. Yet Daniel consistently gave his heart to the Lord, not, give, not giving himself to the culture around him. So he can't tell me, he said, well, this is a hard world to serve God in. No, it just means it causes me to dig in deeper, to hear the Lord stronger, to get clarity in my life so that there's a fresh weightiness of the presence of God on us. So Jesus gives a parable here. He's saying there's people that are around us that are hearing, but they don't hear. He's speaking to the Pharisee. Here's what religion is. Religion is a form of godliness but denies everybody around them the right to receive the power of the Spirit of God. The Pharisees didn't want them to know the truth because they would lose control over the hearts and minds of people. Because the Pharisaical spirit was also connected with Herod. And Herod was a political spirit of the day that caused the hearts and minds of people didn't want them to be outside of the, outside of the realm of what the, the world system was thinking. Because if they did, the people would rise up and begin to know their God, and they were afraid of that. So Jesus is saying, I, wanna, I want you to come into the realm of the Spirit and to hear what the Father is saying for you and about you. So when you pray, and you're, you're living in the unseen realm, again, that word, I mean unseen, looks beyond the circumstances, looks beyond the critical things that's going along and has to break through the mindset because the mind is telling us one thing, but the Spirit of God is saying something else. The mind always connects to facts, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, always guides us into truth. And truth is not based upon facts. Truth is based upon what God says, and facts can be about the natural senses, but truth operates with the spiritual senses. Most of our time, our faith operates out of our, our spirit or our heart. And the belief system many times operates out of our mind. I'll believe it if I see it. And yet faith has evidence that does not appear naturally, but is very much real inside of us. The church was, was ordained and called to be a supernatural church. Always was. Since Acts chapter 2 and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit... The day that the church began to be birthed was that, that moment when the Holy Spirit came upon those believers in the upper room and the glory of God, the Spirit of God came upon them, tongues like as a fire. That's the only way they could describe it. 
but there came an infilling and an infusing that took him into the unseen realm. Case in point, Peter, James, and John is heading up to the temple. They stop at the gate beautiful, and the word beautiful there is translated hariza, which we get the word horizon from. In the Hebrew, it means, or the Greek rather, it means the gate of right timing. So you have this, this guy there. He's a lame man, probably had been there for many, many years. He, he's a pecking order, and because he had been there so many years, he had found a, gate, a place at the gate that was particular, his spot. I remember not years and years ago, and there was someone who was, you know, had the cardboard thing out, you know, at an intersection, you know, we'll work for food or, you know, hungry, need, need, need food and all that. I rolled my window down. I said, you know, I've got some yard work and I'll get, and I'll pay you a hundred bucks to do it. I thought, man, that's going to be generous. It's way more than the job is worth. And they said to me, you kidding? And me leave this spot? I would lose money if I left this spot. So the idea wasn't changing my circumstances. The idea was being deceptive on everybody else around there. So this layman was at Horiza, the gate of right timing, because he had generally, this is what we have the mitzvah or the rabbis teach about it. And this time Peter sees him differently than what he's seen him before. Just right after the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, instead of looking at this, this lame man and having, I'm so sorry you this way, I'm, I feel so sorry if you think, God, I'm not in that condition. He sees him differently. He's seeing the unseen realm, and he steps from the being seen realm into the unseen realm, and he said, silver and night gold I don't have, which was the seen realm, but what I do have, I give to you. And he took him by his hand. He was so convinced that he saw it. He wasn't suggesting him. He took him by his hand and pulled him up. The guy comes now leaping and dancing and praising God that we sing that song. And he's going through the temple, which really ruffled their feathers because they knew who this guy was. Because they moved from, he moved from the seen world into the unseen realm and disrupted all the religious stuff. And they were wondering, who's the responsible for this? And the more that the disciples began to operate in the seen world, the more, more persecution they came from the seen world. The more they operate in the unseen, they got persecution from the religious system. So the church was birthed in the power and the supernatural. It's not that hard. I was talking to a lady who wanted some coaching and some, through this five-day challenge, I ended up coaching. Never planned on doing that. I'm, I'm doing it now. She's from way up in the northeastern state. And she is a type A personality. And she said, okay, I'm, I'm going after God. I do this, step one. I do this, step two. And I do this, step three. And I'm doing this. And things aren't working for me. So... So tell me what I'm doing wrong. And I mean, she had it together. She, was, she worked in Wall Street. I mean, she was very intel highly intelligent. And I said, I'm going to tell you something that may make you mad. And she said, go ahead. And I said, you're making this way too hard. You're putting all, all the works upon you, being very religious, 
and you're doing step one, step two, and step three, Jesus already took the steps for you, and now he is saying to you, I've already done it for you. Just receive who I am as intimacy, and I will impart to you everything that you need. You can see it, but you can't make it happen. You can just believe through him, and you'll see it. He said, if you can believe, you can see the glory of God, the salvation of the Lord. So that's not difficult, but here's the issue is that it's all about the heart. If I have unforgiveness in my heart, then that means that we know the Bible says, if you don't forgive here, we're not forgiven there in heaven. If we don't forgive here, we're bound in heaven and we're also bound in earth. If we're offended, we're suspended because that meant that I, am, I have an idea or thought process against somebody and yet Jesus didn't say that about them. Jesus didn't feel that way. So as I do it to these, I do it to him. By shunning or feel like we're doing it to someone else, we don't do anything but shut our own heart up and, and cause the heavens to become brass. I'll show you in just a moment why that's true. So the open heaven is thinner than what we know. It is so close between the heaven and earth. But we put the distance between us with the heart. By putting rules and regulations, religious things, I don't think God would do it that way. I don't see that would be that way. If I was God, it wouldn't be like that. So God certainly wouldn't do that. So when I do that and have ideas and opinions that are not God, then I have distanced myself and I brought a thickening, if you will, between God and man. In the old covenant, they had the veil that was there. It was a very thick, heavy curtain, probably made out of badger skin, very thick skin. And the whole purpose that God wanted to come and with his own blood, put it on the mercy seat to destroy the works of the enemy. And so when Jesus on this cross and he, he cried out, it is finished, meaning it's completed, the debt has been paid. It means four things and the debt's been paid, the ransom has been paid, there is the, no longer a contract against you. And he said, and then he gave up the ghost and the veil of the temple was rent from the top to bottom. God wanted to expose his presence and the glory of God, not just to a high priest, but to all mankind, that all the nations would be able to seek after God. He wanted to unveil himself and reveal himself in a very special way. So I want to look at this. Why do we need an open heaven? And I use that term meaning the fact is with an open heaven, there's a clarity between heaven and earth. The reason why we need to fast and pray is not to get God's attention, it's to thin me out. Is my own flesh gets dominant, my own mind, my own will gets dominant. And so fasting causes me to get out of the way. It weakens my own flesh. It's not to get God's attention, obviously, because when Jesus was here, he said, you don't need to fast because the bridegroom's here. The time will come when the bridegroom goes away. I'm not with you. Then you will need to fast. So it brings a sense of clarity to have an open heaven, to hear the Lord. So it brings something closer between the natural and the supernatural. Once we understand the supernatural is not that far away, I know that we've heard testimonies that's really way out there, but it's not that far away. In fact, he said, you don't need to say who will go up and bring something back down. He said, my word is nigh you even in your mouth. 
It's when you begin to say what he's agreeing with. And I'm not talking about say this, say this as, as steps, but say what he's put within your heart. When the heart becomes aligned with him, then that, that curtain is, is rent and there's no separation between us and God. Theologically, because of the blood of Jesus, there is none. There's no separation when to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. The clarity that I need is not just a clarity theologically. I need to hear his voice. I need to be able to hear inside of me daily. I need to know that there's no distance between me and God. I want to not just receive it by faith theologically, but I want to hear him and walk with him and experience his fullness. Jesus even said, I'm, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan, orphanos, one who doesn't have an inheritance or one who doesn't have the name of a father. I want us to look at the conditions and barriers that keep us from having an open heaven. I think there's people that have sometimes have spiritual fatigue. You know what I mean? You just worn out spiritually, fought the battle so long, hung in there so long, and I haven't seen the answers I'm looking for. And I know I'm talking to people not only in this room, but people watching online, even to the point where the enemy comes and said, did God really say? We're doubting and wondering, did I hear correctly, or am I praying wrong, or maybe I'm missing what God is saying telling you there is spiritual fatigue in our land. In the same way that the body can have adrenal fatigue, your adrenal glands, what gives you that adrenaline gives you the strength and the push on for you. Uh, you can tell whether you're spiritually fatigued because, as my mother used to say, you're getting on my nerves. Which means, in fact, I'm more sensitive concerning about what other people feel and what they think and I'm easily offended that I'm spiritually fatigued. But when I'm not spiritually fatigued, I don't care what anybody thinks really one way or the other. But I know if the heart, my heart is before the Lord and my heart before him is pleases him, then it doesn't matter what everybody else, I love everybody loves me, but it's not going to happen. They've done it to the master, they're going to do it to the servants, I understand that. But to please him, spiritually fatigued is when I'm worn out by the cares of life, worn out by the stuff around me, and I can't hear God for myself. I was looking at one of the statistics and someone sent me about uh, a thing you can go online and get a prophecy. And they had it by levels. You know, $10 for someone trying and $20 for someone that's got a little bit of experience. $50 of someone that's got a, you know, went to school and got a certification. $100 by someone that's just been doing it for a long time. Doesn't mean they're doing it correctly, they're just doing it for a long time. And I thought, how sad. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. We think, some of us think, sometimes that the only time you get a prophecy is when someone tells you, thus saith the Lord. But prophecy doesn't have to come from another individual because prophecy is the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus saying inside of you, well done and good and faithful servant, enter in the joys of the Lord. Somehow I know that takes you from adrenal fatigue, spiritual fatigue, and all of a sudden there's a sharp in the arm where you, you, that those that know that God will do strength. The word exploits means to pull down strongholds. The word strongholds is thoughts. 
So he's saying, I want to strengthen who you are so you're not living off of what somebody else thinks and how they think about you. Because the time's coming as we come in the last days that as persecution comes, it may not come like, you know, coming to your door and chopping your head off, but it simply can come by friends around you who want to say, you don't believe like I think, and because of that, then you're a heretic or you don't, you're, not, you're not doing this, and so therefore I'm shunning you. You come to the point to where you're saying, I'm, my heart is with the Lord. My heart is as the Lord. Therefore, I, I'm not going to be separated from him by the cares and concerns and culture of the day. So one of the conditions that happens, that barrier is that we get thick. Our heart becomes so widened that I can't hear God any longer. Prayers, one of the reasons why we need to have an open heaven is that prayers are answered quicker or answered with clarity is because I'm not having to break through. You're there. When I spend 30, 40 minutes repenting every day, just enter just wake up, enter his gates with thanksgiving, thanking the Lord, praising him for the day. I expect something good to come of the day instead of saying, oh, well, here it is, Monday. I hate doing this again. Enter into the joy of the Lord. One of the other reasons that happens is, is so that it's easier to sense the presence of God. It's easier to sense the presence of God. I don't need anyone to tell me, well, the presence of God's here. I sense that I know it. It's because the closer you are to him, the more aware that, you, that he is up there. And we lose that sensitivity of the Holy Spirit when just the cares of life and stuff and what we see, circumstances, becomes more prevalent than having a relationship with Jesus. I want to give you five behaviors of the heart that's having difficulty breaking through. Number one, When the heart is angry and has offenses, we're thick. We're distant from the Lord. You can follow the path all the way through Jesus. Even the woman caught in adultery is, is uh, the Pharisees were saying, let's follow Moses' law. Here's protocol. Uh, let's stone her. And Jesus comes back and says, uh, well, you, the Bible also says that man looks upon women, a woman to lust after. He's already committed in his heart. So in another place, okay, go ahead and you that have the, without pure, without no sin, cast the first stone. He was continually bringing people into a redemptive heart so that they could have a heart before the Lord. So a judgmental against other people, we know, puts a distance between us and God. Where you continually have judgments against people, they should know better than that. Maybe they don't. They should know that that's not what I like. Maybe they don't know. Ladies, if you don't know it, your husband, I'll include myself in this, we don't know as much as you think we know. I'll just admit it right now. I'll even admit that I don't even know directions most of the time. Diane said, don't you remember coming here and we turned there and we turned there? No. I don't remember what I had for breakfast last, yesterday, much less we turned here. She remembers that. We don't know as much as we know, so don't expect us to know something that we don't know and then form a judgment about that. So when we start forming a judgment's opinions, what it's saying is, I'm elevating myself above 
Because I have a greater knowledge of what they think. Because we just assume in their mind that their heart is this way. I know they intentionally did that. I know that what they went to do. I know, I know, I know. And yet the Bible says, judge nothing, 1 Corinthians 4, judge nothing before the time. Let the time of the Lord, he, let him bring it about. There's sometimes he's saying, let me deal with justice. Let me deal with things that you don't even know about. Four behaviors, five behaviors rather, of the heart. Jeremiah, the 17th chapter, verse 10, it says this. The heart is deceitful above all things. Well, that's a nice starting out. In other words, it's a sum where we've accumulated thoughts and we've accumulated stuff and we've just stuffed it there, but we don't know that it's stuffed there. And it comes out. Heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Question, who can know it? I don't even know my own heart. I, the Lord, will search it or try, one translation said, search the heart and I will test the mind. He makes two distinctions there, the heart and the mind. I'm going to search the depths, but I'll also test the mind. When God tests something, he tests it for the idea of strength. As in the parable of the two houses on the beach, the sand and the rock. He tests it for strength. He said, I'm going to test your mind, but I'm also going to search your heart because the mind allows things to enter in and the heart is where it's accumulated or stored. I'm going to test it, search the heart, test the mind, and even give to every man according to his ways, the same way, the path of life, issues of life, Give to them of the actions according to his ways or his actions and according to the fruit of his doings. When you say, Lord, you know I didn't mean that. But here's the actions, the heart. Yet God is able to change the heart, but he first of all has to change the mind. And we can't change something that we don't acknowledge. When we're denying it, blaming, refusing it to have anything to do with us, then we keep what we have. But once we acknowledge it, I didn't know it was in there, God, but please take it out. Search my heart. Let me tell you one of the things that keeps us from hearing God, and that's a religious spirit. Let me tell you what a religious spirit looks like. Not just for you, by going to a religion. A religious spirit says, I know the word more than anybody else. I am the one with the truth. That's exactly what the Pharisees did, and they couldn't hear anybody else because they, I have the truth, I alone. What a dangerous position to be in. You find in Scripture it says because they thought they were hearing, and yet they never heard. Always learning, the Scripture says, but never coming to what? The knowledge of the truth. There's a hearing, but then there's the truth. Always getting information, but never bringing me to a transformation. Because if it's really truth for me and not just truth for everybody else, I have to live and walk it out. Diane says, be careful what you preach because we've got to live it out the next week. So always learning. It's good for everybody else, but I never make personal application. My question to you is, and I asked, the Holy Spirit asked me this last night as I was going through this. He said, 
When's the last time that I convicted you about something? When was the last time that you felt disciplined by me? Because, you know, Hebrews says, says, I love my sons, daughters, and I chasten or discipline those who I love. But if you resist discipline, one of the ways we resist it is that's for somebody else that's not for me. Let me go get my elder brother. He needs this. I know who this would be good for. When we do that, what happens is, I'm saying is that I'm hearing, but I'm not coming to the knowledge of the truth. When that happens is that I'm resisting my father bringing correction to me. I've told this story another number of times, but it's apropos now. When I was about 15 years old, I thought I knew everything. I was convinced of it. And I did know everything in this world that's so narrow. Went to spend the night with my friend. I mentioned to my mom, I said, I'm going to go spend the night with the guy across the street. We did all the time. And my dad didn't hear about it. Well, he never paid that much attention before. He just, if I'm doing it, it's because your mom said I could. So late one night, he calls the neighbors and he said, Carrie, there. And they said, Yeah, he's there. And I said, Would you tell him to come home? I thought, That's strange. I've never done that before. Come home, walk across the street, and he was behind the door with his belt in his hand. He shut the door and he said, you didn't have permission to go. And I said, well, I did. And he said, no, you didn't. And he grabbed my hand and he, he, he wasn't abusive and he went, didn't, didn't beat me. But it came that belt. When it did, I grabbed that belt and I jerked it out of his hand. And I looked at him. I said, I'm a little too old for that. I thought later, I thought, my God, fortunately, I was still standing I looked at him, and he had a tear in his eye. My dad was a cowboy. I mean, he was a tough dude. He was rough. He would work me. He could work anybody under the table. He was a strong man. I went to sleep. Went to, he said, well, go into bed. Went to bed that night. I couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep. It wasn't because I was afraid of him coming in and beating me up because he just didn't do that. When I, I, the Lord started convicting me, he's saying, when you resist authority, you resist me. I'm not talking about abuse. I think you ought to resist abuse. I'm not talking about that. But in this case, it was a misunderstanding. But I saw that I broke my dad's heart that I had never, ever seen him do. I had never seen him cry one day in my life except at my mother's, mother's funeral. Next morning, I went into him, and I felt so convicted. I said, Dad, I need to talk to you. He said, what's that? I said, what happened last night? He said, yeah, I talked to your mom. It was a misunderstanding. I said, no, not that. I would not let you discipline me. That means, now I would say, I was saying, you're not my father. I would have gladly bent over and taken a whipping for, my, for how I felt inside of me. It would have made me feel so much better. When is the last time that we felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Or maybe when's the last time that we felt justified in saying, not feeling the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit? To be able to move into the unseen realm, there has to be a sensitivity 
to the presence of God, to the grieving of the Holy Spirit, to things that I'm justifying my own actions, and eventually I get hardened, more hardened in my heart because I can justify it and justify it. Everybody else is wrong but me, and I get to where the fact is I'm my own self-judge, my own self-understanding, and my own truth-maker and my own truth-revealer. And I'm not letting God get a word in edgewise. So my question is, when's the last time you felt even just a nudge? Maybe it's something you said or done. Maybe it was a thought. Maybe there was something that rose up inside. And maybe you could get by with that. But for those who are going after God to thin out the atmosphere to where I can hear what he's saying. Here's a second behavior. The worries of life begin to take over and consume us with what if, what if, what if. To where that becomes so much in our heart and mind that God can't get a word in nudgewise. Becomes so overwhelmed. That's when I need to go to the Father and say, God, I need you to come and refresh me. Pour back into me. I don't need a good talk with my neighbor. I need a talk with you. It's fine to get help from other people, but I want to, first of all, I've come to you and I want to give time for God you to say something in my heart that really draws me closer to you. Here's the third one. Difficulty devouring the word of God and getting any understanding. Because the Bible says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. It says in the Old Testament, holy men of old spoke as the spirit of God moved upon them. The word of God was written by the Holy Spirit. So that means he's the spirit of truth. He'll translate it. And if I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me, it means he should take something out of this word and put it in my heart that says, yes, amen. I love this. I love this. But if my mind is so consumed with the cares of this life that I'm just reading the pages and checking the box off and not really getting refreshing. said, I want you to know me, know me through the word. Nothing was ever created without the word. So that meant to be able to see the unseen, to have answers for things I don't, I can't have answers about, I need to be able to get beyond my feelings and get beyond what I see. If you're dealing with a financial problem and that's all you see and you're thinking about, I could go talk to this person, that person, maybe they'll be faithful to me, maybe they'll feel sorry for me. Why not just go to your father who sees in secret, the Bible says, and reward you openly? It doesn't mean that he sees in secret, one of the original says, when you come into the secret place, he sees you. Doesn't mean he didn't see you before, but means at that point, and the word secret there, tamion, literally means the place of intimacy. When you come in that place of intimacy, you'll find, like coming before the throne of grace and finding help in time of need. So out of that that place, the heavens are open, clarity comes. I just don't need to see the unseen world to have a, a ministry. I need to see the unseen world to live in the seen world and stay sane with it. Here's a fourth one. The heart becomes hardened with this behavior. When a compromise is made, 
It's coming into an agreement with the world's standards. Something that was not God last year and all of a sudden now it becomes okay. That means that we have compromised. I mean, I've taken the promise of God and I've, I've watered it down. Compromise. When, that, when we move into a compromising life, compromising lifestyle, that means that it's harder and harder to hear God. Harder and harder to get answers. More difficulty to have clarity. And then we start having to ask people, can you tell me what the will of God is for my life? I prefer God to tell me. Here's number five. Mediocrity becomes a new norm. And we start settling, or we start settling for less than letting our faith be stretched. God loves to stretch our faith. Because he wants us to build up a, a strength in our faith to where it says, will you believe me, trust me, and lay down all the other stuff that issues you have against other people or with other people and just trust me. Come into the secret place and allow me to, and abide with me, and allow me to be the transforming one there. Psalms 24 we're talking about coming into a place of presence. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Presence of God. We're, we believe it's to be his throne room. One word sanctuary means space among above the second heaven. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? But he who hath clean hands and a pure heart and not lifted up his hands, which means his actions doing his soul to vanity. I'm glad that Jesus is teaching all the way through about my yoke is easy, my burden's light. David said in Psalms 23, he says, talking about he renews my soul. There is a refreshing that remains for the people of God that has spiritual fatigue, that hasn't seen breakthrough. But you're closer to revival than what you think he, all he's saying is just get your heart aligned with the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to start doing some deep cleaning. Now, I'm not talking about being legalistic and that kind of thing of, you know, putting on different clothes and wearing your hair a certain way and taking your makeup, makeup off. And I'm happy for you to wear makeup. <laughs> so what he's saying is when, the, when our hearts become right before the Lord... He hasn't, there's an open heaven for us to begin to hear from him. First Samuel 30, David lost everything there at Ziklag. Amalekites came, I think it was the Amalekites, one of the A's words. Arameans, <laughs> Amalekites, I think. Steals everything, all the family. His men turn against him. The Bible, I love this, says that in David inquired of the Lord... Literally, I mean, the inquiry doesn't mean, I've got a bunch of questions for you, God. He first of all took off his armor his, and asked for the Abathar, the priest, to come and give him the, the garment, the ephod of a priest. And that garment of a priest was to come before the Lord with a sense of thanksgiving, first of all. I'm not coming to you to say how bad things are, I'm coming to say how good you are. And in the middle of how good you are, 
then he hears this, oh yeah, by the way, you can pursue, overtake, and, re- and go after it, and you're going to recover all. You got a prophetic word, but the prophetic word didn't come from someone else, from a prophet. It came from him while you were in that secret place with him. And it takes a steady heart when you hear everybody, your, your friends and your guys that you went to war with saying, let's stone David. It's his fault because they're under grief as well. I've been in those places. You think you know someone until they turn on you. And the Lord will just say to you, who are you going to trust? Though the world turns on you, who will you trust? Though it's hurtful, it's disappointing, who will you trust? And I can't keep going back and say, but God, look what, look what happened. Look what that, it doesn't matter about, look what I'm doing. Do not let your head be turned at injustice. Keep your head turned upon the just one. Let me finish with this. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. He says, what man knows his own heart except the spirit that is in him? I would never do that. I can't believe I did that. Well, God says, I'm, sh- I'm searching the heart. The reason I'll let you know it's in there is not that you would, so you would deny it. I would have never have done it had they not done that. Well, it was still there. I like what the word in my family is don't let your don't let their bad behavior cause you to have it. Just about if their behavior is worse than yours, so that doesn't matter. I'm dealing with you right now. Well, what about them? It doesn't matter. I'm dealing with you right now. It's a deflection. So when the Lord points something out, it's not for you to find out I'm not as bad as they are. Surely, thank you, God. It's that I want to bring you into clarity in the kingdom of heaven to thin out the heavens. He used the word in Matthew 13, the word dull. The word dull is an interesting word. It means to thicken, to make sluggish, to put space between us and the Holy Spirit. Ecclesiastes 10 has this verse. He said, if the ax is dull... Much more work is needed. The strength takes, it's harder to chop wood with a dull axe. It's harder to do what you're called to do when you're dull of hearing and dull of heart, dull of sensitivity, dull of compassion. Jesus is using this parable, Matthew 13, that all three conditions related to the fruitfulness of the Sower and the seed are related to the soil. Nothing wrong with a sower, nothing wrong with a seed. The only difference was the conditions of the soil. And the conditions of the soil made it difficult before it came about. Here's the three conditions of the soil. One was sown among the stony ground, hard-hearted. Very little came up. Some did, very little. I mean, the ground was so hardened that the full effect of the word, the potential of all that was in that word couldn't come up. So what happens, the stony ground happens as we start looking around and, and we start seeing the way things are in life and hardened and, 
And some take on other people's offenses and how they feel and what they think. And we take on their injustices. Now it becomes our injustice. And, and we start feeling the weight and the care of this to where you no longer feel God. You feel everybody else's pain, but you can't feel the compassion of the Lord. It's dullness of hearing. And then the second one is the thorny ground. You ever been around somebody who was so thorny that you didn't want to be around them? they're going to prick you somewhere or another. Looks really pretty. Man, when you grab a hole, it's going to stab you. In other words, it's difficult to sow anything among it. It's because the seed never gets to its full point to have allowing the relationship what it needs to be. So when it gets close, boop, prick you. Don't get too close. You can observe, but don't get too close. Choop, prick you. Finally comes into the one about the good ground and then it says it, it reaped a full, full crop. I mean, the ground was open, it was tilled, it was pliable. And the, when the seed was sown, which is a type of Christ, the word of God, the sperm of God is translated there. So with that, it came to its full potential. So Jesus was saying in that parable, if you want to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, it's got to happen like this. Prepare the heart, which is the ground, Cast out the stones by opinions and feelings and all of that. Get rid of the thorny place and to say, Lord, as David said in Psalms 51, search me, try me. See if there be any iniquitous thing, which is family. I'm not, I can't blame family, but it's generational stuff. See if there be any iniquity in me and forgive me of that. Take it out of me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. It's not hard to enter into the unseen realm. It's just all about the heart. It's all about the heart. Stand with me, would please. I like Murray and... Uh, Lynn, I was getting there. Murray, come down here. God's really given them a grace anointing for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, or maybe you've, you've tried, had an attempt, and, and didn't happen as quick or the way you thought it is, Murray's testimony was he took him a while to get there. But he did. He, he understands that. And so we're going to allow you time to just come over here, and they'll pray over you for that. With the rest of the ministry team coming, if you look, believe in God for miracles in your life, we're going to believe for that to happen. Allow the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to be the spirit of the truth. Don't compare yourself with anybody else in the room or with anybody else, maybe they're past and gone on. It's me and you, Lord, me and you. Because since you look at the heart more than you look at anything else, you even said that in the last days they're going to pro they've prophesied my name, they've taught in my word my name, they've done all these huge things in my name, and he'll say, I don't even know who you are. Because we're so busy doing the works and having knowledge about that we left off having the heart for. So Father, I pray over every person in this room and those who are watching online, would you come, Holy Spirit,
and work with all the accumulation of stuff that's been accumulated in our life. The cares of life, the injustices in life, just the stuff that's, that's come upon us. And just wash us clean, wash it out, shaking the dust off of us in such a way that we have an open heaven, such a clarity of your word. Forgive us of making judgments against other people. For only you have that place and position. We can judge things in a way so that it won't come to us. But I'm not going to sentence what, God, you should do to anybody. So allow the Holy Spirit right now to wash your hands so you can come into the hill of the Lord. And I believe that God's going to stretch some of your faith. Let me just tell you one of the easy excuses that the enemy brings to you. That's not my gifting. I do a lot of things not my gifting. But as you do them unto the Lord, you're saying, I love you, Lord, more than I love me. I'm honoring you with my time. I'm honoring you with my life. I'm honoring you with all the things within me. Worship is a, belongs to the Lord. But that's not just on Sunday morning at a certain place. Now I'm worshiping you every day by what I do, the course of life, the issues of life. I have a, a real sense in my heart that God is going to eliminate some excuses that's been real handy for us in times past that we could really rely on. I had some. I was telling the Lord, I don't have time to do that. I was just recently asked about a big task taking on. And I said, I don't have time to do that. And the Lord reminded me, I make time. You're not in charge of time. Okay. I just got rebuked. What you were saying is, I don't want the pressure on my flesh. So Father, I come and just ask you, Lord, just to wash away all of the reasoning that interrupts revelation. The rationale that has, that has risen up inside of us and we become Gnostics eating at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Instead of eating at the tree of life that's continually redemptive, continually saying, God, your will, your way, not my way. I just ask, Lord, for the weightiness of your presence, O oh God, to be upon us today and seal in our heart, Lord, that there's nothing between you and us. I'm just not talking about that would not allow us into heaven, but right here on the earth right now. I know that we're sealed because of the blood of Jesus and you've written our name in the book of life, but we want to have, we want to have an open heaven right now on earth. In heaven, we'll have plenty of that. But right now on the earth, Lord, we want to hear you. We want to know you. We want to experience your fullness and not settle for mediocrity in any, any way. Amen. If you need someone here to pray with you and just believe God for you, for a miracle, whatever it might be, or I just need someone to agree with me, I've got a mind block. It's called stubbornness in Scripture. Stubbornness means I've got more excuses than the will of God has. Always tell we get into argumentative, argumentative. Tell that. So, Father, I just pray 
sever us from the stubborn. Allow the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon us in a fresh way. I pray for personal revival in every person to hear and to know and experience intimacy with you that causes us to be refreshed. Deliver us from spiritual fatigue and renew our soul. In Jesus' name, amen.